This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for August the 7th, and we are in the Old Testament today, starting in Ezra, uh, chapter 4, verse 24. And I want to just give you a little bit of background of where we are. So the remnant from Judah has been given the directive uh, from Cyrus to return and rebuild the temple at Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem. And they left uh, Babylon, even encouraged with building materials and treasure and all of this. And they start building and they commit themselves to the Lord and the Levites are building and it's all going along fabulously. And then the enemy comes in. Um, and I said yesterday, look at the pattern here, because I think what Ecclesiastes says is true, that there's nothing new under the sun. And the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament is there for our instruction, right? That God has preserved it for our understanding. Um, and I think that the enemy works in the same way today, both perhaps a personal enemy that comes against us or the enemy of the church. And so what we see here is that the enemy, first of all, tried to uh, convince them that they were they were on their side, right? Ah, oh, let us build with you. We're with you. We, we agree with your cause. We worship the same God. And they rightly said, no, you have no part in this. So then they stepped it up and phase two was to try to um, just cause difficult for them, difficulty for them and uh, create fear among the people who are building. And then when that didn't frustrate them enough, then they went to the authorities and King Artaxerxes in particular and uh, slandered them and asked for the building to be stopped in that way. And that's where we are. So the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped, and it remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Now, I have written in my study Bible, handwritten note, that this was 16 years. So I'm going to trust that. I looked it up at some point. 16 years they had to wait to rebuild. So if any of you are in this period of, of waiting and of struggling against something, um, you're not alone, right? God will sometimes allow these periods of waiting. At that time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo, prophesied in the name of God of Israel, of the God of Israel, to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, responded by beginning the task of rebuilding the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them and helped them. But Tatanai, governor of the province west of the Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozani, and their colleagues soon arrived in Jerusalem and asked, who gave you permission to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? They also asked for a list of the names of all the people who were working on the temple. But because their God was watching over them, the leaders of the Jews were not prevented from building until a report was sent to Darius, and he returned his decision. This is the letter that Tatanai, the governor, uh, Sheth Bozani, and the other officials of the province west of the Euphrates River sent to King Darius. Greetings to King Darius. We wish to inform you that we went to the construction site of the temple of the great God in the province of Judah. It is being rebuilt with specially prepared stones and timber is being laid in its walls. 
the work is going forward with great energy and success. We asked the leaders, who gave you permission to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? And we demanded their names so that we could tell you who the leaders were. This was their answer. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built here many years ago by a great king of Israel. But because our ancestors angered the God of heaven, he abandoned them to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and exiled the people to Babylonia. However, King Cyrus of Babylon, during the first year of his reign, issued a decree that the temple of God should be rebuilt. King Cyrus returned the gold and silver utensils that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of Babylon. These items were taken from that temple and delivered into the safekeeping of a man named Sheshbazar, whom King Cyrus appointed as governor of Judah. The king instructed him to return the utensils to their place in Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple of God there as it had been before. So this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the temple of God in Jerusalem. The people have been working on it ever since, though it is not yet completed. So now, if it pleases the king, we request that you search in the royal archives of Babylon to discover whether King Cyrus ever issued a decree to rebuild God's temple in Jerusalem, and then let the king send us his decision in the matter. So King Darius issued orders that a search be made in the Babylonian archives where treasures were stored. But it was at the fortress at Ekpatana in the province of Media that a scroll was found. This is what it said. Memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus's reign, a decree was sent out concerning the temple of God at Jerusalem. It must be rebuilt on the site where the Jews used to offer their sacrifices, retaining the original foundations. Its height will be 90 feet and its width will be 90 feet. Every three layers of specially prepared stones will be topped by a layer of timber. All expenses will be paid by the royal treasury. And the gold and silver utensils which were taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar from the temple of God in Jerusalem will be taken back to Jerusalem and put into God's temple as they were before. So King Darius sent this message to Tatanai, governor of the province west of the Euphrates River, to Shetharbozani, and to your colleagues and other officials west of the Euphrates. Stay away from there. Do not disturb the construction of the temple of God. Let it be rebuilt on its former site and do not hinder the governor of Judah and the leaders of the Jews in their work. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to help these leaders of the Jews as they rebuild this temple of God. You must pay the full construction costs without delay from my taxes collected in your province so that the work will not be discontinued. Give the priests in Jerusalem whatever is needed in the way of young bulls, rams, and lambs for the burnt offerings presented to the God of heaven. And without fail, provide <clears throat> them with the wheat, salt, wine, and olive oil that they need each day. Then they will be able to offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for me and my sons. Those who violate this decree in every way, in any way, will have a beam pulled from their house. Then they will be tied to it and flogged and their house will be reduced to a pile of rubble. May the God who has chosen the city of Jerusalem as the place to honor his name destroy any king or nation that violates this command and destroys this temple. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be obeyed with all diligence. Wow, that is a turn of events, isn't it?
Tatanai, governor of the province west of the Euphrates River, and Shethar Bozanai and their colleagues compiled, uh, complied at once with the command of King Darius. So the Jewish leaders continued their work, and they were greatly encouraged by the preaching of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo. The temple was finally finished, as had been commanded by the God of Israel and decreed by Darius and Artaxerxes, the kings of Persia. The temple was completed on March 12th, during the sixth year of King Darius's reign. The temple of God was then dedicated with great joy by the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the people who had returned from exile. During the dedication ceremony for the temple of God, 100 young bulls, 200 rams, and 400 lambs were sacrificed, and 12 male goats were presented as a sin offering for the 12 tribes of Israel. That's interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, many of those tribes were taken away by the Assyrians years ago, never to have returned, but they still recognize Israel to be 12 tribes. Then the priests and Levites were divided into their various divisions to serve at the temple of God in Jerusalem, following all the instructions recorded in the book of Moses. On April 21st, the returned exiles celebrated Passover. The priests and Levites had purified themselves and were ceremonially clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for the other priests, and for themselves. The Passover meal but was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and by the others in the land who had turned from their immoral customs to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. They ate the Passover meal and celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. There was great joy throughout the land because the Lord had changed the attitude of the king of Assyria toward them so that he helped them to rebuild the temple of God, the God of Israel. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 5. And Paul has been talking about divisions in the church, certain people who follow different people in the church, himself included. And he writes, Who is Apollos and who is Paul, that we should be the cause of such quarrels? Why, we're only servants. Through us, God caused you to believe. Each of us did the work that God gave us. My job was to plant the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God, not we, who made it grow. The ones who do the planting or watering aren't important, but God is important because he is the one who makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose yet they will be rewarded individually according to their own hard work. We work together as partners who belong to God. You are God's field, God's building, not ours. Because of God's special favor to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that we already have, Jesus Christ. Now, anyone who builds on that foundation may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But there is going to come a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builders themselves will be saved like someone escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you are the temple of God and the 
The Spirit of God lives in you. God will bring, bring ruin upon anyone who ruins this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you Christians are that temple. Interesting you know, relation there to we saw the rebuilding of the actual temple today. Stop fooling yourselves. If you think that you are wise by this world's standards, you will have to become a fool so that you can become wise by God's standards. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, God catches those who think they are wise in their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are worthless. So don't take pride in following a particular leader. Everything belongs to you. Paul and Apollos and Peter, the whole world and life and death, the present and the future. Everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Psalm 29, a Psalm of David. Give honor to the Lord, you angels. Give honor to the Lord for his glory and strength. Give honor to the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf and Mount Hermon to leap like a young bull. The voice of the Lord strikes with lightning bolts. The voice of the Lord makes the desert quake. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forests bare. In his temple, everyone shouts, glory. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. Proverbs 20, 26 and 27. A wise king finds the wicked, lays them out like wheat, and then runs the crushing wheel over them. The Lord's searchlight penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. And to end today, we are not reading In the Life You've Always Wanted, because honestly, I haven't read that next chapter yet. Um, but I also uh, wanted to share with you, I read um, this devotional by Charles Spurgeon the other day, and I just really loved it. So I wanted to share it with you. And it's called One at a Time. And it's taken from Ruth 2.17, which says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Let me learn from Ruth, the gleaner. As she went out to gather the ears of corn, so must I set out for the fields of prayer, meditation, the ordinances, and hearing the word to gather spiritual food. The gleaner gathers her portion ear by ear. Her gains are little by little. So I must be content to search for single truths if they come just one at a time. Every ear helps us to make a bundle and every gospel lesson assists in making us wise for salvation. The gleaner keeps her eyes open. If she stumbled dreamlike among the stubble, she would have no load to carry home rejoicingly at evening. I must be careful in religious exercises in case they become unprofitable to me. I fear I have lost quite a bit already. I need to estimate my opportunities properly and glean with greater diligence. The gleaner stoops for all she finds, and I must do the same. 
Proud minds criticize and object, but humble minds glean and receive benefit. A lowly heart is the key to profitably hearing the gospel. The soul-saving word is not received except with meekness. A stiff back makes for a bad gleaner. Pride is a vile robber and must not be tolerated for a moment. What the gleaner gathers, she keeps. If she dropped one ear to find another, the result of her day's work would be but meager. She is as careful to retain as to obtain. And so at last she makes great gains. How often do I forget all that I hear? The second truth pushes the first out of my head, and so my reading and hearing end in much ado about nothing. Do I understand the importance of storing up the truth? Hunger helps make the gleaner wise. If she has no corn in her hand, there will be no bread on her table. She works under a sense of necessity, and consequently she moves swiftly, and her grasp is firm. My my need is even greater, Lord. Help me to feel it, that I may it may urge me onward to glean in fields that yield to diligence a plenteous reward. Hmm. I hope that's an encouragement to you as it was to me to take these truths, to search them out diligently, and to store them up one at a time and not grow weary of doing what is good. Love you all. Have a beautiful day.